Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am a story career consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And I am very psyched and thrilled to have with me here today as my guests, Jim Brandon and Brian Singleton, and they have a show that is, they are on a show called Surviving Jack that is going to be premiering on March 29th? 27th. 27th. So I want everybody to watch it. So let me tell you a little bit about Jim and Brian. Jim and Brian are currently executive story editors on the new Fox series Surviving Jack and previously were story editors on Arrested Development and CBS's partners and staff writers on ABC's Work It. Jim and Brian also co-created, wrote, starred in, and produced Hulu's all-time most popular original web series, Dorm Life. Before their first staff job, they learned the tricks. Oh, I didn't even see this part. (laughs) They learned the tricks of the trade through NBC Writers on the Verge program taught by the one and only Jen Grisanti. I love you guys. (laughs) Jim and Brian met at UCLA where they wrote and performed in the same sketch comedy group and majored in mass communications. Wow. Like, you know, it's so wild for me because I sit there and I think, was it three years ago, Writers on the Verge? Yeah, I think three years, yeah. And yeah. you guys have worked ever since. Yeah. Four shows. Oh, my god. Yeah, we, I think we've been very lucky, yeah. That's amazing. Amazing. So what I want to start with, because I want everyone to know, because you can't see them, and it, and this just is gives people hope. I've had countless people say to me, Jen is Writers on the Verge, diversity, meaning racial, diversity only and in front of me I have two white boys yes so I I want you to know that and I want you to hear their story and what um, brought them into the program obviously their success of dorm life was was part of it but their diverse approach to writing and life from their story is what really uh, drew the possibility in and made their diverse perspective valuable so I'm going to let you guys share that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when we were we applied to a bunch of the studio and network writing programs, and a lot of them are sort of focused on diversity. Right. Um, and uh, so we had to, you know, we are two white dudes, so we had to right. come up with something else to right. sort of <laughs> explain why we think our, our voices are underrepresented. Right. right. And rather than looking at it and just saying like, oh, we have no shot at this. Right. We were reading it, and the focus is always on diverse voices that feel underrepresented in television. Right. And that's the thing that we were like, well, we actually do feel like we're in kind of groups where, particularly in the comedy world, which is what we um, what we do, that sometimes become caricatures rather than characters. Right. And so, um, th- yeah, it just seemed like a natural thing to focus on when we were applying to these programs. And the yeah. story <laughs> is? Yeah, well, I'm gay <laughs> and Jim is Christian. And so those are two things that we f- we feel are like, yeah, like what Jim said, like, I feel like 
characters and storylines and stuff a lot of times are like are done in a way that's not super like that doesn't make us feel completely comfortable. And so we thought, you know, from our own experiences and our ability as writers, we could offer our own point of view and tell the stories in a sort of more authentic way than we've and been to seeing. add even more so so we have Brian who's gay Jim who's Christian and they were water polo players at UCLA I love that part yeah too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we played on the club team at UCLA and actually initially met playing water polo um, right. and then like a year later started doing comedy together love it yeah love 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 it and then your story going into writing like when you were at UCLA and you came up with the idea of dorm life like, did you know that writing was your direction before dorm life? Or did dorm life make the dream start to appear it could be real? Yeah, I think that dorm life helped really yeah. um, form it. I mean, I jumping back to the sketch group, right. I think that was a thing that we both started doing as just something that was fun. Brian right. and I both knew the wo- uh, the woman running the program or like running this little college group. And so we were like, yeah, that'd be fun. And then when we had success in it and it was the we would do a big show in front of 5,000 students and just getting those laughs and like feeling 5, like 5,000 students. Yeah. It was at like an outdoor tennis wow. stadium and it was a really, really cool experience. Yeah. Exciting. And yeah. once you have that taste and feel like, oh, my gosh, like something I created and performed made all these people laugh. Right. I think was when we realized, okay, let's we can pursue this and like really give this a shot. And so dorm life was the first the first time that we were kind of putting those talents together and because it was on the web, we were wearing every hat. We right. were writing in it, acting in it, producing it, uh doing craft service. Can people like, look at dorm life now? I, mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Yes. Just on go Hulu. on Hulu.com. Yep. Great. Yeah. And what went into each episode? Like, how long were the scripts? What was the budget? What did that look like? Yeah, so we um, we partnered with a small new media production company that gave us a, a, a decent-sized budget. Like, nothing right. huge, but enough so that it was the first thing we'd ever done that, like, other people were paying for. And so right. that was very exciting to us. Loved it. Um, love it, love it. Yeah, and so... Um, but yeah, we want we kind of it, it was in 2006, 2007 when we were kind of conceiving it. Right. And that was a time when like the internet was going to take down network television right. and I it was like that. it was it was a really cool time to be exploring that space and there had only been a couple like kind of notable web series right. out at that point. And right. so we wanted to kind of take a big swing and do like a full season and kind of run it like a TV show. Um so that first season was 20 episodes and they were about like 5 to 8 minutes long each. Right. Yeah, and I think at the beginning when we started people were telling us that like long stuff just doesn't work on the web. And right. at the time 5 minutes was long. Right. We and uh, YouTube was mainly a place that people were going to watch a dog on a skateboard for 5 seconds. They right. weren't there um the player just wasn't at the same quality, and people just weren't spending a lot of time there. So right. we kind of got advised to not to really shorten what we were doing and not kind of do what we were trying to do. But I think we just felt like really we were just really excited about this idea right. and telling this story. And a little bit, I think we were we were feeling like inspired by the idea that people could binge watch it before right. that was kind of a, a concept. We were we were feeling like this is exciting because. These if will they always watch be there. The yeah. whole season at one time they can't. Right, right. Like House of Cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> love that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I so love that. How did you meet the new media company when you were students? We 
actually a guy who's in the same sketch group at, as us, but like a few years older, right. was working with them and okay. knew that they were looking for um, like a comedy group basically to come in and like pitch ideas for cool stuff. Right. And so it was kind of like great timing. Kismet. We just happened to yeah, know somebody. Yeah, everything so, aligned. Yeah. That is incredible. I love that. And what I want everyone to note, like the biggest thing I love and I think the, what what really drew me to you and Writers on the Verge was the simplicity of your story and the fact that your truth was part of your brand. And and it was something that was immediately shared and you felt it and you feel it in your writing and, and the idea of the polarity, yet the connection between you guys as writers, I, I think is fantastic. And I love that. And I think it's inspiring for all writers who, number one, think, okay, if I'm white, therefore I can't get into the diversity program. So I love what your story says about that. And then number two, embracing your differences mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. utilizing it for to fuel you forward as, a, as writers. So I, I think that's fantastic. Uh, okay, well, first I want to congratulate you for all the success and being on four shows mm -hmm. since Writers on the Verge. So, I mean, and I really can't say, I mean, your success started in college. So, and that led to Writers on the Verge and everything happened. So, I love that all of this has happened. When, how did, so you two met on the water polo team. What were you studying? I was undeclared right. but kind of leaning towards communications okay and partly because at ucla that's a really big broad major yeah and i just didn't know what i wanted to yeah do yet. absolutely no it's a great one yeah. yeah and i started college actually as a math major right and i was gonna like be an architect and like in high school i was very like math science oriented and right um i sort of like kind of discovered myself and learned that I loved writing and comedy and stuff in college through this sketch group, really. Right. And so that's when I changed from math to mass communications. I love that. And it was fun. There was a communications class at UCLA that was a lot of a lot of the focus was on guest speakers from the entertainment industry coming in. Right. And at the time, it was, I think it's still very much like just a current kind of, uh, this is how the entertainment industry works class. And right. so it was like really fascinating um, and I remember going to that class one day when this writing team for comedy movies came in and they were just talking about it was right after we'd done one of these big shows. And so I was feeling like the rush of that. And they were talking about how they just started doing sketches in college right. and just never stopped. And that was the first time that I was really thinking like, you know what, this is a real possibility. Right. And so it was I think growing up in California and going to UCLA, you realize, OK, there's a lot of people that have these dreams yeah. who, and um, and you kind of get intimidated by by just saying, I want to write or right. I want to act, I want to direct, whatever it is. And so I feel like hearing someone else say like maybe the thing that I wasn't quite ready to say, which is I want to do this writing thing as yeah. a career was like a really cool moment. I remember calling Brian and just being like, I just like these are the guys that we're just talking and like, I don't know, I feel like we should give this a shot. <laughs> I love. No, I love that. And I love that you guys really skipped. You skipped the writer's assistant phase and the production assistant phase and really jumped right into it right out of college. What was that like? Like, not being prepared for your very first writer's room. I mean, you had writers on the verge mm -hmm. that gave you yeah. kind mm -hmm. of a pseudo feel. Mm -hmm. um, what what was it like, going, like, the very first day in the writer's room? What was that like? Uh, yeah. 
Well, to be, I actually was a PA on a show for one season. Oh, okay. Because like, okay, I'm great. a year older than Jim. So right. I graduated early and right. I was a PA, like Perfect. a production office PA. Right. So I got a little peek and like right. I actually was able, the showrunner was ran an open room. So I like sat on the couch and just like a quiet right. little mouse and just listened. And I was right. like, this is so cool in here. Um, so I did have a little bit of like Good. a viewpoint, which was really, really valuable. Like I think those jobs are fantastic because they mm-hmm. do put you in the middle of things and they give you exposure and they like, they control your expectations a little bit yeah um but yeah but that but still that first day like going into a writing room as writers it's like it is a bit overwhelming and intimidating and like because it's this mythical place that like seems so special and like so sacred and like you're actually get to be a part of that and that's super thrilling but also super terrifying Mm -hmm. i was gonna say where the stakes must have been high because it's like do how do we get through our first season yeah. And what did you learn? Like, what did you think when you went in there, like your expectations versus what the experience was? How did those differ? That's a good question. I think we were I think we were prepared somewhat because of Writers on the Verge, I think, helped a lot. Great. Um, yeah. yeah. Just knowing what to expect. We'd had showrunners come in and executives come in and a yes. lot of like young writers come in and kind of say, like, this is what it's like. Right. Um, we ended up on Work It was our first job, and that was a pretty fun room. Like, there were a lot of people who were really positive. I remember the first day, um, like, one of the other writers just, like, kind of, like... So I I had... I brought an apple into the room, which was a mistake. On day right. one. On day <laughs> one. A big, crunchy... A big, crunchy apple. apple. And, Everybody uh, hear that? <laughs> <laughs> and it was... Um, and... You know, at the time, I was coming out of being very poor. So now, like, there's fresh fruit. I got to eat something. Right. I was, like, so excited. And then, like, one of the guys who is a really close friend, really sweet guy, was kind of making fun of me. He's like, oh, now you're going to be crunching. Who who invited this guy? What is this staff writer doing? Like, just kind of, like, joking. And then another guy came up to me and he's like, hey, they're just messing with you. Like, like stand-ups will... Yeah, this guy was a stand-up, and it's like they—they're looking for anything to like break the ice and get a laugh, and it isn't something that like I truly felt offended by. Right. Um, but it was also one of these. I just remember that feeling of being like, "Oh my gosh, am I in over my head?" And then like people kind of being like, "Oh no, don't worry." Right. Um. So we, yeah, we. I think the one thing we probably did in that room, um, that we should have done differently is we were really quiet. Like, right. We were. We kind of erred on the side. I think you should err on the side of caution if you're not 100% sure on a pitch. Mm-hmm. But we were almost too, too far, far that yeah. way. Did somebody tell you that maybe you should speak up a little bit more? Yeah, the showrunner, I mean, like, the showrunners about a month or two in kind of met with everyone and, and said the things they like about what you're doing and the things right. that you can improve on, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Like, Hopefully, if we get to be showrunners, I feel like that's something we would want to do. I mm-hmm. love that. Um, and so, it's, yeah, super helpful feedback. And, you know, like we'd heard stories like, oh, you don't want to talk too much. Like showrunners can be crazy people. And like so you walk in and you're a little scared and you're like, a staff writer can get fired for just speaking? Like this is crazy. Right. Um, when in reality, like most of the shows we've been on, like that's not the case. It's not that like strict Rigid. and crazy and hardcore. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he's like, look, when you guys pitch stuff, like it's great. We love your stuff. We want more of it. Just like keep keep doing what you're doing and just like give us more of it. So it was like, it was good feedback. And I think it was, I, I'm more comfortable with that being the way, the note instead of like, <laughs> okay, like, can you guys not talk as much? Like right. that would have right. felt way worse exactly. than like. That's a better way to go. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I think that's learning. I think the biggest thing for staff writers is don't speak too much and don't be too quiet. 
So it's understanding that temper temperament that is like what is going to create longevity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first season of work at you did how many how many episodes were you working on? We produced thirteen. Wow. Yeah. Right. So. We got to do the full order. That was a full order. Right. Um, and it, it was, was a mid-season show. So right. Did we, you get to have a produced episode? Uh, we did not get a script, Okay. No. Yeah. Which I would have thought exactly, yeah. that you wouldn't have yet. What about um, when was your first produced episode? What what show was it? It was Arrested Development, actually. Right. Right. And uh, that was that, that was an amazing experience, just being in that room and all that stuff. And we were... We got sent off. There was one other writer that got sent off, and right. it felt it was really strange to be the first people off writing a draft of a script for Arrested Development, and particularly for this was season four, um, right. where Arrested Development was a huge influence on dorm life and just us be- wanting to become writers. Oh, amazing! Yeah, I remember talking yeah. with Karen uh, yeah. when she interviewed us for the Karen NBC. Horn. Yeah, Karen shout Horn. out to Karen. Yeah. <laughs> we love Karen. <laughs> uh, when on the phone interview portion of the NBC Writers on the Verge right. process, and she asked, "What what show would you want to write on if you could go back into any writing room?" Right. And sa- we said like Arrested Development, ah. and then all of a sudden to find ourselves there. And how did that crazy. happen? Like when I look at this is what I look at, like the odds against you guys at the beginning, because I sit there and I think, okay, the ego is very prevalent in the writer's world, in the writer's room. And you see these two great looking guys that are coming in and haven't had to do a lot of the assistant work to get where they are. And you think people either are going to be for you or against you. And I, knowing you both, I know that people are going to be for you, but you're also going to deal with politics and mm-hmm. stuff. How has navigating that been? Like, what led to you getting a script? And how hard was it moving through that process and, and getting to that point? Yeah, I think, I mean, the Arrested Development was our second, so we got that after Work It. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, you know, didn't expect a script. Like, we know, you know, young writers go show after show without getting a script, and that's that can happen, and so that's fine. So we weren't, like, expecting a script at all, and right. we just were so thrilled to be there and really positive and trying to work really hard and, like, just contribute as much as we could to the show. Great tips. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, so that was just kind of our approach. Like, we mm-hmm. weren't like, how can we position ourselves to get a script or anything? We were just, like, in there, stoked to be there, and just, like, Great. Trying to do a good job. And yeah. then Mitch, who's the showrunner, um, you know, asked us if we would go off and write a script. And we were like, um, yes, we can do that. <laughs> sure. Um, and so we were just stoked that he asked us and trusted us. And, right. Um, yeah, it was a very unique experience, particularly on this season of that show, because right. the 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 structure of the of the story in, in that season was so unusual that right. it was um, – it was yeah, unlike any other script we'd ever written before. Right, it was like yeah. a very new type of writing, but um, but yeah, it was it was awesome. And yeah. what did you learn on that first script? Like when you think about your approach towards script writing now versus that first script, what what are some of the tools that you've learned between then and now? I think one of the interesting things about this specific one right. was that for Netflix, there were no commercial breaks mm-hmm. there were there was no like act break that you were hitting and there wasn't a, a true defined time limit or page limit or anything like that right. and so i think and and the way we were telling the story they were all building on one another it was kind of more like a novel than a 
than like wow. the normal yeah. show. Yeah, where and so we knew there was stuff in our episode that wouldn't make sense because the payoff wasn't going to come yet, and we right. also knew that there was stuff that we were paying off that someone else would have to like kind of write a a slightly unsatisfying setup, right? Knowing that the punchline was coming later. Um, but I think one thing we tried to do with that script was also really say, um, okay, this is we we had senioritis, which was maybe the um maybe's episode where she was the focus and we were so we were kind of saying okay let's make sure that we track maybe and give it as much of the story like make sure that we focus on that as much the whole way through and so that we we then even though sometimes we knew we were kind of serving a different storyline with a funny little scene we were always trying to make sure that it came through maybe's point of view and i think that really um that really helped that. it feel cohesive. That's a great tip. Yeah. And yeah. it's also, it's something that we've now really learned that like every show you should, now on Whose Surviving. perspective yeah. are you seeing this through? Totally. Right. Um, yeah. And so it, and sometimes like on Surviving Jack. Right. Which I know we'll get to, but the, the dad is kind of, he's the biggest personality and the, and, um and so if we, like sometimes we're, the stories were mainly more about the son or right. daughter or but we're you're you're making sure like okay this show is called surviving jack yeah. jack is the dad like don't let's lose make the core yeah concept. don't lose him yeah 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 yeah, Ano- I th- yeah you what? sorry i was just gonna say another thing i think we learned through writing that arrested script was that like kind of the role of a draftsman is to sort of execute what the showrunner is expecting yes. mm-hmm. and not go off and be like, wait, I have a really cool idea and then do something that you think is fantastic right. and then hand it back in. Like, yeah. I think we did a good job at executing the outline. His that, vision. Like, yeah, yeah. His, his vision and what he right. wanted. And, yeah. um, and the job of the writer is to, you know, hopefully give them a producible right. script back or at yeah. least like an execution of what they were expecting. Yeah. And so that's just, you know... That's, I feel like, a, a really good sort of thing to keep in mind when, when you do get a script. Interesting. You know, I have to um, – I'm trying to remember what showrunner said it. I'm reading this book, uh, the showrunning – this new book by Neil Landau that's a showrunning manual type book. And he interviews all these big showrunners. And um, one of the more popular ones – I don't remember who it was, Vince Gilligan or somebody else – had talked about, like like – When you look at episodes of TV, it's like you have, depending on the pickup, the order, you have 22 term papers that you're turning in. So when Uh I think about you guys coming fresh out of college into that and and really at that point, like because you're so grateful to be there, you recognize – that you are there to shepherd the showrunner's vision and and be okay with that right at that point in time I, I think is is great and I think that probably contributed to your success and what did you feel when you saw the episode and we're definitely going to get yeah we're gonna definitely, yeah yeah <laughs> no no I love that you did that we're definitely going to get there so I think. Um, what did like when you saw the episode and how many episodes have you written since then? And like what what is the growth like? Yeah, for I mean for arrested development, the watching the episode was really, really cool. Right. It was very fun. A lot of stuff had changed. Right. Like a lot of the, the bones were the same, but like there's a lot of different jokes or yeah. you know, they needed to change a certain storyline, so that morphed and And how was that? How did that make you feel? I want people to know this. Like this is part of the process. Yeah, yeah. Being rewritten yeah. and and seeing a part of your heart kind of shape into something else. Yeah. Um, what is that like? 
Yeah, it's a weird thing because like you're expected to like be passionate with your writing and mm-hmm. really believe what you're pitching or writing and like really put yourself into it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, balance that with the understanding that it's a really collaborative process and yeah. it's it's going to change and it can change completely. Yeah. And that doesn't minimize like what you were able to accomplish or your contribution right. to that process. But right. that is the the weird balance where, you know, you don't want to swing too far and like, oh, I don't really care what I write. I'm right. just going to write like a robot for someone else. It's like you don't want that like, right. that extreme. Mm-hmm. But, right. How about, like, at what point would you say you learned how to utilize your voices and somebody else's vision? That's a good question. Um, I feel like, I feel like a little bit on Arrested Development, there was a feeling of, like, you. we were really supporting, like, Mitch Hurwitz right. is, he's brilliant, but also we were trying something crazy. Right. And so I think everyone in the room was realizing that this was super dense, really kind of a big swing, and that if that if Mitch understood it and liked it, then we could move forward. It didn't have to be that, like, everyone in the room wasn't having to necessarily sign off or say, like, oh, we could do even more. It was kind of like that That one felt like we were really serving, serving his vision, and then within that trying to be, like, trying to – pitch things that were here's our voice yeah. and your vision we understand right. your framework but here's our twist on it yeah yeah and i mean that was the first and only returning show that right. we it, that was a season four of, of a show so i think that was part of it where it's very established like right. he's figured out all the like universe stuff character stuff like right. that's all kind of established which is great yeah you guys got to experience that versus the first year of a show where nobody knows anything, right. and you're all figuring out the identity of the show together. Yeah, yeah. And I would, yeah. And on the the question of like really like when we were really kind of pouring ourselves in personally. I mean, obviously, I think most of our pitches it, are coming from like what makes us laugh, what we like. We we tend not to try to do the thing of just like, okay, I know that the showrunner likes. A poop right. joke. So here, here it is. Even though I don't like it, right? Like, um, but I think on partners, partners was one where the dynamic of the two main characters were best friends. Right. One straight, one's gay. Love it. And it felt very much like we we would be untrue to ourselves right. to not do this. So right. I think in some of the other shows, we weren't um, we weren't being put in a spot where we had to feel. Or where we had to, where I was trying to like force a Christian character in, or right. this or that, like. Right. It, but with um, with partners, it was kind of there were times where we could say, like, "Hey, this doesn't ring as true to us, like right. being best friends in this modern world." And granted, like the showrunners of that show, Max and David, they were all they have the same dynamic, and, right? But I think things were just very different for them, yeah. Like because they're so so old, so old. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean. Well, I love I love both perspectives. I love that you have the perspective of someone who's older versus the perspective of someone young and coming into it. And what does because I mean, bottom line in comedy, I think polarity especially is such a valuable asset to be able to play with that because humor comes out of that. Yeah, totally. You know, talking about jokes. I love so much of what you guys are saying. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So talking about jokes, like. How um, how scary is it 
like coming into your own brand of humor and what is funny to you versus what is funny to the room. Like, tell me about, like, did you get knocked down a few times here Oh, totally. I mean, yeah. you always, like, yeah. if you're pitching stuff, not everything is going to score. Right. So you'll pitch stuff, and then people will do just sort of the uncomfortable, like, look down at the table, and then it'll be quiet for a couple <laughs> seconds. And like, do they right. hear me? Or No, they just don't like it. It didn't hit. Yeah, yeah. So that's just a part, yeah. of, the, part of the deal. Right. Um, and I think, like, yeah, like there, you know, in comedy rooms, usually there's a handful of stand-ups who are really good at like right. telling jokes, and they have like, you know, thousands of hours of stage time doing that. Like right. that's what they're so good at. Right. Um, and Jim and I both have never done stand-up. Like we're not stand-up guys. Right. I think we are strong joke writers, but we don't have the skill set of like. I, th- I think we sort of learned that kind of h- how to spin a joke out in a room and mm-hmm. how to like time it well and. Um, kind of play to a crowd. And give it in that to way. other people to yeah. deliver. <laughs> Just, yeah, pass it across the table. <laughs> yeah. I no, love that. Yeah, and I think yeah. a big difference is the multi-camera yeah. show with the live audience, and then a single camera where talk you, you to have that. to control. Uh, yeah. yeah, talk to the the multi-camera so, versus the single camera. Yeah, the multi-camera, you really do have a live audience of two hundred people there, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of like those are real laughs most mm-hmm. of the time uh, that are like that you're, and so. Um, Unless they you, need to add, right? Sometimes, <laughs> right. Um, but there, because of that, if you started, if you have to craft the joke in right. a way where the the last thing that they hear is the funny part, right? Because if you start, there's been a lot of times where we've, you know, kind of in the setup, there's some like kind of funny line, and now a handful of people are giggling, and now they all missed, the like they missed punch the line. true punchline right. because they're laughing or. If it's kind of like the punchline is buried in the middle of a sentence because it's just like someone kind of do it like they're laughing at the wrong time and it can get like it's it you Tricky. just learn yeah. to write jokes that way. Yeah. And I think there um, when we went to Arrested Development coming off work, it was a multi-camera show and Arrested Development. Um, I think we realized, oh, you still write you still want to write jokes that way. Right. Like you still want to write strong jokes. Right. Sometimes. There will be awkward humor, like depending on the just the tone of the show. And right. sometimes you can get away with more if you're not relying on if 200 people aren't laughing. But, you know, like I think I like the the single camera thing because, you know, that it might not be a, a joke that 100 percent of people are going to giggle at. But maybe it'll make 50 percent of people laugh really, really hard and be their favorite thing. Like and you're I not like... going to have concrete evidence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... It's the imagination. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love that. No. The other thing about yeah. like multicam jokes, a lot of times when you're shooting an episode in front of audience and something mm-hmm. doesn't play, you'll have to pitch an alt on the floor. Right. And um, and that process was very new. Like on work, it was you know our first job, first multicam job. Um, and so like that first episode, we were like kind of really pumped and excited, and then also like nervous about those moments. Like right. how's that going to go? And you know, you, you do a huddle with the showrunners and there's like, you know, the 200 people audience sitting there and they have a warm up guy like juggling in front of them and everyone's screaming in the right. soundstage. And you're like, <laughs> and you have to huddle and focus and come up with a joke that's funnier than the one that just bombed. Right. And so that's like a weird pressure, but it's also really, really I fun love that. and that's very great funny training. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think one of the, we'd gone to some multicam tapings to right. kind of just get a sense of it. And, um, I think we realized, 
I think it, it's there are times when you really are coming up with something on the floor like that didn't work. We thought it would work. Right. Does anyone have like what can we come up with? Right. But sometimes too, those you doing your homework is going through a script and being like, okay, I'm not 100 percent sure on this reference. Like if the audience is going to know it, so I'm going to come up with a few. Right. I'm going to come up with a few things so that then when it does get to tape night, you're able to step in and yeah be a hero. And a lot right. of times that is like. You being know, prepared and right. doing your research. Yeah, I mean, nine out of ten great. times yeah. you might not need it. But... Yeah, but it's always good to have right. it. Exactly. So, no, that that is an excellent tip. Now, what about multicam versus single cam as far as drama versus humor ratio? Yeah. I mean, I think multicam is a place where jokes thrive and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, stories tend to be simpler, at least on some of the shows we've worked on. Like, multicam stories are can be a bit simpler just mm-hmm. so that you have a lot of room for all the jokes and, and comedy and stuff. Right. And I think there's more diversity uh, in single cam where right. some single camera shows are tons of tons of jokes. Like, right. you know, like 30 Rock has like amazing jokes and yeah. it's just like kind of nonstop. Um, but then there are other, you know, half hour single camera comedies that do tell more dramatic storylines and more right. real storylines. Right. Um, but just kind of a comedic take on it. Crazy mm-hmm. ones, I feel like, tell some, goes back and forth and it has, yeah. 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 Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. Modern Family, you would consider, do you think, Modern Family doesn't probably have as much, as many jokes as 30 Rock. Yeah, I would say that's true. Yeah. But more they do the have drama like, and the emotion. Right. Some episodes will have more jokes. Totally, But others, Yeah. yeah. I like that. Okay, that, that, no, and I think it's good for people to understand the differentiation. Going into when you guys, so Work It was multicam, what was your portfolio? How did you build the portfolio around the idea of wanting to work in both? Yeah, so we, the first spec we ever wrote was a Big Bang spec, mm-hmm. and that was sort of our, you know, first script that we probably weren't going to show anyone, and we just, like, wanted to learn the form, and... You know, we were reading our, like, how to write for TV books and just kind of <laughs> right. use our, like, exercise one. Right. Um, and then after that, we wrote a Parks and Rec spec, which is what got us into the NBC program. Right. I remember. In Loved. the program, we yeah. wrote a Modern Family yeah. spec and then a, a single camera pilot. Yeah. So most of the material we send out is single camera. Yeah. Um, but then doing, having done Dorm Life, we have the added benefit of also sending a DVD of a couple episodes of that. Right. And so it's really nice when, you know, you imagine, like, the executive or the showrunner with a stack of, like, 75 scripts they have to read. Right. And then there's the DVD they get to pop in and watch, a, like, a fun short episode. And just laugh. And just yeah. laugh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that tool has been one of the important things. Oh, that's has, good like, for people to know. Yeah. That's yeah. very good because now I feel like uh, comedians and comic writers is Funny or Die, that the fact that you could have the tools on Funny or Die and YouTube. And is there any other comedy websites where you could put I mean, people videos? even look at Twitter. Like, yeah. And know. Twitter. Yeah. Well, your status lines. I always tell people, like, brand yourself Facebook-wise mm-hmm. and Twitter-wise. Like, have your status lines reflect. If you're, if you're a comedy writer, have your status lines reflect how funny you are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do I you mean, guys it's... do that? No, I mean, <laughs> I think we did more well, after we started working. How can people follow you first? Of all? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Singleton Brian. Okay. And I'm at Jim Brandon. Good. And I no longer, I don't really post as much. I think okay. it was during that first job that I realized, like, oh, I'm just not going to be able to keep, keep up with this, this stuff. Yeah. But I've since realized that that. 
that is I should do more there yeah. because it is a great way if you have a joke to put just yeah. like to put out a couple. And I think if we um, had never if we hadn't gotten a job, that would be a, a, a place that I would now look a lot more to like. Right. To just being like, I'm going to craft a joke. It. Yeah. I do that all the time. I mean, between with my Huffington Post blogs, I get to test material and mm-hmm. I see mm-hmm. what do people emotionally right. respond to. And same with the status lines, because that I throw story tips out there constantly. So you see what people like grab onto and you go, OK, that's going to be in my next book. Yeah. You know, right. it, it is. It's, it's a great tool for that. Yeah. I think that's great. All right. So I know we've hit on so many of the shows and I love it. So this is great information for everyone. And Surviving Jack, why don't we do Surviving Jack? And Mm -hmm. then I want to get into the creative process and talk about how you got your agent and talk about tools and talk about politics and all that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So going into Surviving Jack, that's Mm -hmm. going to be on March 27th and everybody has to watch it. And it's going to be amazing. Tell us first the concept and then how you got the job Mm -hmm. and what the writer's room is like. So the concept, it is a family show, Mm -hmm. mainly focusing on a father-son relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And it takes place, the the son is starting as a freshman in high school. Mm -hmm. He has an older sister. And there, the mom is going back to law school. So this is the the father's taking right. over, um, kind of main parenting duties. Right, and, love it. Um, the dad is a doctor. He's played by Chris Maloney, right? Um, who's really really funny in it, and he's just kind of a no nonsense doctor. Kind of say anything. Used to be in the military, right? Yeah. Doesn't right. take doesn't take it, you know. Love yeah. it, love it. <laughs> and uh, it's it's based on a book that uh, Justin Halpern, who's one of the guys who uh, created the show. Oh, interesting. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's based and, on a book. Great. Yeah. yeah. The book was called I Suck at Girls, and it was sort of <laughs> memoirs of his childhood and right? his relationship with his father. Right. Mm-hmm. And the book is really funny. Um, and to sort of stay true to the book, which the stories in the book took place in the early 90s, like right. the show is actually set in 1991, or right. that's when it starts. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, all the music in the show, like oh, the hair, the cars, the that. style, like, it's all early 90s, which is yeah. a really fun element. Yeah. yeah, and like you were talking about the drama versus like jokes versus the comedy. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. This is a single camera show where we were able to play into the nostalgia and play like right. very real things, and also uh, lean it on the music. Right. Sometimes that's like a really funny like uh, like Motown Philly by Boys to Men, like that just pumps up the energy. Right. But sometimes that you are able to play these songs where you do. It like touches your like you're feeling extra for this kid, right? And, um, a lot of shows don't ever budget in music for right? music, and uh, but this we so had like three too. three songs yeah. in episodes, so like getting to like come up like remember fun songs, and then also just have story that aligns yeah. with that. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I love that. You know, it's it's fascinating because my. My dad's a doctor, and my mom went back to law school at age 39. Oh, wow. So I, I totally connect with You're that our concept. demographic. I'm the demographic. <laughs> I'm going to have to watch it. I'm excited to watch it. Um, and then how does the writer's room work on that show? And when you thinking about the writer's room, like, has each show had a very different approach, or what shows have been similar? Yeah, I mean— 
every room has its own sort of set of rules and and politics and the way it's run. And some are more um, strict when it comes to like the hierarchy of of the room and others Mm -hmm. are more open and everyone can talk and whatever. Right. Some showrunners like splitting the room and Mm -hmm. and breaking stories in two rooms. Others like want to be aware of everything. So so yeah, it's been a little different along the way. Mm -hmm. And what style do you like the best? Um... We like a light hierarchy. Right. I think we <laughs> um, we have liked really open shows where we're able to talk. Yeah. Um, but there that is helps. something nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's there's something nice knowing that the head, like, kind of knowing that that hierarchy exists, and so it doesn't feel like. I, I don't know. I like. I feel like it's there for a reason because. But you also yeah. like the safety to speak up. Yeah. Definitely. And um, Surviving Jack was interesting for us because we've gotten to move up levels a little bit. So we're now executive story editors and kind of falling in the middle for the first time where there were a handful of staff writers um, and like there was there we were in that like middle group. And so it was interesting for the first time running a room with other writers in it where it was kind of like, Jim, can you go run a joke room? Or like, Brian, can you go? run like right. uh, like a story thing to kind of feel like oh my gosh i guess we're we're big, doing that big now. boy pants yeah. on <laughs> <laughs> i love that yeah. no i love that because it's interesting i know like when when i was climbing the ladder as an executive it was so fascinating and i've heard many writers talk about this with climbing the ladder as a writer as well i think our expectation is like when we're at each when our title goes up suddenly all these new roles are going to come into our lap. And what I recognized is I had to create so many of them. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's what you begin to recognize too. Like at first it's great when people hand it to you, but then it's also utilizing your title to go, hey, now that we're, do you think we could do this? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I think that is true even for like the staff writer level. Like I remember on Work It, we went in and we sort of had a conscious plan to like, identify tasks that were like the most annoying tasks that a writer needed to do (laughs) right and then like volunteer to do them i love that it's a way to ingratiate yourself i love that yeah Yeah. so that show was set at like a a pharmaceutical company yeah so we needed a bunch of um made-up drug names that we could use on air right and it was like a chore that had been lingering and then you know it kept coming up where it's like this drug will be i don't know it'll be something it's basically advil but we'll call it something it was kind of like that we were hearing that a lot right and so Oh, that, see, you yeah. capitalized we just, yeah, we just on sat in a something room. that could bring you a, str- a weakness that could help you be strong in, yeah. in, by offering that. I think, I mean, by weakness, I mean by something, as you say. I remember Glenn Mazzara said, and I loved it, he's like, you know, people coming into the writer's room have to recognize your job is to make the showrunner look good. That mm-hmm. is your mm-hmm. job. And to recognize you should be the first one in and the last one out. And it's looking at things like that right. because that's how you get ahead is essentially what he was saying. Like you want to do the job that no one else wants to do. You want to be excited about doing it. Yeah. And, and you guys have used that. And honestly, you have, and I, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, and if I am, I apologize. But, like, have you ever hit hurdles with – have you ever been let go on any of the shows yet? Not yet. Ah! 
Yay. Yeah. I always have people, I have people, and I want people to feel safe to talk about every, mm-hmm. yeah. have you ever had a day where you thought, oh my God, are we going to get, is our agent going to get a call? <laughs> um, <laughs> or maybe there, not. <laughs> no, 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 no. There definitely have been like days where like just things, I, it's weird to work in a creative job because sometimes you're clicking in your own brain and you're on and other yeah. days you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm just throwing like dirt balls at people. And like, right. at the end of the day, you just feel like, oh. Like, I feel like I contributed nothing today. And, right. And, but then, you know, over time you realize, like, every, you know, even showrunners have those types of yeah. days. And that's yeah. just they do. part of, yeah. you know, I remember doing thinking do. that when I was, uh, when I started my career, I was Aaron Sp- an assistant to Aaron Spelling. And I remember, like, the gift of seeing him have on days and occasional off days mm-hmm. and taking note of that Mm -hmm. and value of that to just recognize and and then to have him mentor in a way to show you when you were on versus when you were off so that you could see it right and and recognize that it's coming from someone like like as a mentor i felt like he expected perfection from himself so the fact that he expected it from me made it made me want to give it to him that much more. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it wasn't like he was being hypocritical. Right. With your mentors, who would you say are have been some of your strongest mentors so far, and what have you learned from them? Yeah, we I I think we've been lucky to work for really strong showrunners. Like mm-hmm. we worked for like Ted and Andrew ran Friends in its later years, and say their last names. Oh, I'm so sorry. Andrew Reich and Ted Cohen. Right. They they were they were on Friends for like seven or eight years, and we just... have people all over the world listening. So we just have to make sure that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I have a bad habit of like <laughs> using shorthand. Yeah. With, yeah. Um, and then we you know we worked for the guys who did Will and Grace, right. uh, Max Muchnick and David Cohen, and mm-hmm. you know Mitch Hurwitz yeah. who did Arrested Development. So we've been wow. very lucky to like very lucky. Yeah, that's a gift. Yeah, and I think like. Max and David saw themselves in us. Right. Um, cause they're the ones that did partners yes. and like the gay straight thing. And right. So I think they definitely were excited to take us under their wing and like right. um, very supportive of us. And so right. they've been great. And uh, we also worked with John Regi, who right. he was he's a director and a writer. He's show running um, Super Fun Night now and right. was on 30 Rock. And he's uh, he's been really, really fantastic and supportive right. and he's hysterical. And like I feel like. He, he's been a, a big mentor of us as well. Yeah. Right. I love this. It doesn't feel like you've hit um, a very dysfunctional writer's room experience yet. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because people warned us before right. we started certain jobs yeah. with certain showrunners. Like mm-hmm. that, you know, people say like the Will and Grace room w- could be crazy or like right. Arrested Development. Like the hours are long and like it can be totally, totally crazy. So we were kind of scared going into work for these like right. kind of somewhat notorious Mogul's showrunners. icons. And, and with that, I always say with brilliance comes neuroses. So totally. you yeah. know that you have you've got to deal with that. Yeah. yeah. And I think I mean, the conditions that we've worked in have been relatively pleasant, but right. it, it hasn't been completely like a breeze. Right. But I feel like, you know, being a team and having someone to like close our office door and yeah. just let out steam every day. <laughs> then, like, yeah. It, I think we've done a good job at kind of weathering the storms and good. being a little immune to the craziness. And right. I think, yeah, right. that helps a lot to just have a partner because it also if I'm starting to do something strange in the right. room, like, right. you know, eat an apple. Eat an apple. Yeah. <laughs> Brian can be the first one who can say like, "Hey, dude, stop doing that," or right. like, "Right," or this or that. And so we are, I think we're able to like kind of keep it 
yeah. keep it together, yeah. just the two of us. And so sometimes when rooms have gotten a little more contentious, and we have been lucky that we haven't been in any of like the, anything super crazy. Yeah. But I think we've been able to be still nice guys who are ma- nice to everybody. I've met with many writers who have been scarred by their comedy room experience. Really? Yeah. So it, yeah. it is an interesting thing. And drama room as well. I mean, I think a it is a very difficult thing to be in a room that and it's not to say I think there every I always say the writer's room is like your dysfunctional family. It's the mom and dad that you may never make happy, no matter how hard you try. It's the siblings at the table trying to get a word in edgewise. Mm-hmm. So it it is looking at but the fact that you've had rooms where you've had people rooting and supporting you despite you're going to you're still going to have your rough days within that mm-hmm. and in learning to weather that i think is tremendous i th- i think it's amazing so i think you know god forbid you do hit a room that is a little tougher right. you're going to have the tools to understand how to deal with that yeah. you know so i i think that's fantastic um okay so going in and we'll go into real quickly uh is I want to get a sense of, so how did you get your agents? What are tips that you can give writers going into the writing programs and starting their first day in the writer's room and all that? Like any mm-hmm. any nuggets that you think come to mind? Sure. Yeah. Starting on the spec process yeah. early on, uh, one nugget that really helped us right. was um, a writer told us to write specs of the shows that we loved right and especially in our first specs like don't worry whether it's smart or whether it's a smart spec or like a hitch like a hot show and so we ended up writing parks and recreation before that was before it was huge like just because we liked it and we we were watching it and liked it and felt like we had a funny idea and we wrote it and then it ended up getting us into that it really helped uh, NBC that I think there were only a I don't. I think Karen might have said we were one of the only Parks and Recs of right. that of like hundreds and that of people. That helped you weed yeah. out, right? Love that. Great um, advice. So that was really helpful. Yeah. And you're just going to be better at writing a show that you respond to already. Yeah. The, yeah, your the material is going to turn out up. better. Yeah. 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 Um, in terms of like how we got an agent and advice there, we started meeting with agents and managers while we were in the NBC program. And that was a great advantage of being in the program is yeah. that, you know, yeah. the executives, your yeah. mentor, your executive mentors and yes. Karen Horn, who runs the program and you and, you know, people send out recommendations and material. Yeah. Yeah. And so you get read a lot of places. Right. And some of those places will meet you with you. And right. So that helped us. We met with a lot of people in that time period. Did you have the job before the agent or the agent before the job? Agent before the job. Great. Yeah. yeah. And he's... I would say the climate today is shifting mm-hmm. in that sense. So that's a gift. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, yeah, we're super grateful, and, like, we, we love our agent, and we get along so well with him, and, like... We Shout feel... out to ICM. Yeah, Eric Ryan and ICM. Great, great. Um, yeah, but advice in terms of meeting with agents and managers, like, I think a lot of people are nervous and really want to please the agent and manager, and I think that's important, but right. I also like to remind people that, like, you're also interviewing them, because you're giving them money, you're paying them. Awesome. They're going to be working for yes, you or with absolutely. you. Absolutely. And so True. it's like, it's a, it is a team. And so you have to be totally comfortable with that person and putting your career in those person, in that person's hands. Right. Um, and you have to be a partner in that destiny. I think so many people make the mistake of thinking, once we get an agent or a manager, then everything's going to be easy. Right. And that's when the work really begins. Because yeah. the communication in that relationship is just like a personal relationship. And really being able to understand that 
the the agent's job is to work with you and if you are not providing scripts and material in order for them to get out there and sell you then you are not doing your part in the partnership yeah. so it yeah it's really understanding that what what would you say like what have you learned in that relationship maybe like what did you think going into it what expectations did you have going into it versus what did you learn about what it is that's a good question. I think um, part of the part of the reason we picked Eric, right. we just felt like we we got along with him well, and right. a lot of and on top of that, a lot of people were saying, "Oh my gosh, I love Eric." Right. So whether that was NBC you assistants, did your research. yeah, yeah, you, even right. like Karen was Karen told us he was great. Right. An assistant said, "Oh, he always remembers my name." Things that we were like, "Okay, this feels good." Right. And then, um, I think. We were able to then, because we got along with him, right? Uh, tell him exactly kind of where we were at. So we were able to be honest with him. And in that, then he's been honest with us and we're able to trust him totally. Right. So there's been, never been a time where he's been like, you guys have to do this job. And we've said like, no, we want to do this. Right. Or like, and like we have some huge fight. But because I think we were able to tell him like our goal is to... We want to staff for a while and right. learn and then get to a point Great, where when we develop. Show. Yeah. Good. And Love it's, it. Yeah. And Great. he's like he's been on board with that and kind of helped us say like, OK, right now, you know, I could try to get you a job on a like on a show, but we'd have to ask out of your contract this or that. It just seems smarter for you guys to hold tight and trust me that like the we'll get you on a hot show when and that continue time this trajectory. Comes, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so all that stuff has been really helpful knowing that we have a guy who we trust that isn't just feeling like he's going to pimp us out for the quick dollar and right. then once our career's over he's going to move on to the next person. Right. Um that he being able to have a long-term career talk with your agent I think is super important. And he has a strategy for you yeah. mm-hmm. that he's working on and yeah. you trust it. Yeah. So that's great. That's fantastic. All right, so let's see. Do you have in closing? Do you have any last comments, or do you want to share maybe a plug with why people should watch the show? Um, I mean, watch the show. I think everyone who works on the show truly believes like there's a good TV show there. Right. Like it, writing, everyone's very, very proud of it and right. really believes in it. It's just very excited. So at least check it out. And if you don't like it, you don't have to watch it. But, right, right. <laughs> yeah, but I, th- I really genuinely believe it's like, it's a sweet show. It's funny. It's, it's yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I think that's the biggest thing, funny. Mm-hmm. Like I sit there and I go, so many sitcoms aren't funny. And yeah. I hate to say that, but that's the truth. And so I think it's finding something where the drama and the humor work. Yeah, mm-hmm. in a way, and they work together. And, yeah, and like, en- enhance yeah. each other. Exactly, yeah, definitely, yeah. exactly. So good. I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I'm so proud of both of you in ways I can't even begin to express. No, go ahead. And- we have time. <laughs> we have time. <laughs> I am so so happy. So I want everybody out there to watch the show on March 27th on Fox at what time? 8.30. 8.30. It's on after the American Idol results show. Oh, great. So you and get a little singing and then a little laughing. Jack. Yes, a <laughs> yeah. little singing and a little laughing after American Idol. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. It's thank you, Jen. It's great yeah, having thanks. you. You got it. My pleasure. I remember uh, you said there were cookies in your car. We have to get those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have to get the cookies in the car. Yeah. yeah. We'll get that. 
Uh, and let's see, announcement-wise, I want people to know that I've got the teleseminar, my story-wise, 10-week TV second pilot teleseminar. It begins March 25th, 2014. If you want to do just the pilot portion, the five-week portion, that's in May. It's everything I teach in Writers on the Verge and more, as well as I'll have guest speakers come in. Maybe. Yeah, there. there. I love it. And what I have people come in, and this is, and writers have loved it, is they listen to five pitches and you give critiques. So it helps writers like you prepare to be showrunners Mm -hmm. so that you understand how to hear a pitch Mm -hmm. and critique it. Cool. So good. Excellent. I would love that. Yeah. Um, And then uh, we also have the TV Writers Summit coming up, which is March 29th and March 30th, 2014. You can find out information about that on my website, www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com, or you can purchase tickets at tvwriterssummit.com. And I highly, highly recommend... Uh, this event we reformatted it this year so that the first day is all lectures and day two is all workshops so you're going to get a chance to apply everything that we teach you on day one on day two to your own personal script so that you're walking out there out of the the experience with personal feedback on your stuff so I do highly recommend that and I want to thank everyone for joining us. And I'm very excited for you to hear all the wonderful things that Jim and Brian had to say. This is Jen Grisanti of StoryWise Podcast. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Icebox Logic.